good morning. It's good to see you here today, and uh, thrilled to have you joining us and joining us online as well. Before we jump into the message and the scripture we're looking at today, I do want to share one thing really quick. The adventure camp that we're talking about, Vacation Bible School, kind of one of those things, that's coming up, and uh, we're really excited about what's going on with that. You probably saw the table maybe as you came in to register your kids, so make sure you do that. One of the things that's going on with this, and this is really big. I'm, I'm super excited. There's going to be like a giant boat up here on the platform, all kinds of different stuff. It's going to be a really, really fun time and a fun service afterwards. But uh, there's a lot of needs. There's, a, there's an Amazon wish list. And so out there on the table, there's a QR code you can scan with your phone, or they have a list of things. Uh, our uh, kids ministry director, uh, Courtney Brown, is going to be out there at the table as well. We just have, this one has a lot of needs, and so if, you've, if God leads you to help with any of those needs, just simply that you can scan that and see the wish list, that would be great. Um, it's going to be a really, really good time, so I want to encourage you uh, to be thinking about that. Today is Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read for you, uh, it's kind of a lengthy passage of scripture, uh, and hopefully by the end of the day we understand really what Pentecost is all about. But uh, we're going to be talking about a couple different things today. But I want to read for you Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. You'll see it on the screen. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, hmm, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. I did really good in the first service. I don't know why I paused on that one. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and said, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And then I love verse 21. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. I, uh, I grew up a Green Bay Packers fan. You guys are a little more lively than the first service. Okay. Um, not only did I grow up a Green Bay Packers fan, but I grew up a Green Bay Packers fan in Bears country. 
in central Illinois, which is kind of dangerous. I had a friend, though, his name was Dan Trail, and, uh, and growing up, I mean, Green Bay, it's still the same, you know, conference, all that kind of different stuff as Chicago, but he, had, he loved the Raiders. It didn't make any sense to anybody, including me, but he just absolutely loved the Raiders. Now, if you know anything about the Raiders, particularly in the 70s and 80s, they built a massive reputation for themselves about being just horrifically brutal and uh, maybe even some dirty play. So they would go out of their way to recruit players who had reputations for this. And, uh, and the stories are endless. All you have to do is Google them. And what was really interesting is, you know, my, my room was fairly modest. And I had nice Green Bay Packer posters and nice, you know, All-American. Then you go to my friend Dan Trail's room, and he had posters of, like, helmets, and the eyes were red. And, and there were horns and all kinds of stuff. And you realize, okay, this is a little different. If you're a Raiders fan, that's a little bit different. And uh, one of the challenges, though, is that the Raiders faced, and really all sports teams do at this point, but the Raiders faced this particularly was all of that dirty play and reputation and everything started to carry its way off of the field. And a lot of these recruits would come in, and they couldn't manage their life off the field. And that happens to a lot of sports uh, stars today, but... In that situation, it was a really, really dangerous thing. And so back in 2012, they actually hired a guy named Lamont Williams. And Lamont Williams, he's a great guy. Uh, when they hired him, he came in not necessarily to help them play better, but he, helped to, he came in to help them uh, manage their lives off the field. And so what he would do is he would be a constant presence in the life of all of these players, saying, knock it off, don't do that. If you're going to do this, do this. And he was just this constant force and presence in their lives to keep them on track when they took stepped off of the field. Now, this is what he said. This is, these are his words. He says, I draw a line, boy and man. Many make a lot of money, grown man dollars, but they act like boys. They don't want any accountability. It's always somebody else's fault. Men don't act like that. Then he said, boys get run out, not because they don't have talent, but because they refuse to grow. So he gets in their face, these are his words, he gets in their face, making sure that they stay the course. Now, the reason I share that is because when you choose to follow Jesus, God knows that you cannot do that in your own strength. You need help. You and I need help. In fact, if you've engaged with this last series we just went through as it is, as it is in the region, as it is on earth, as it is in heaven, and the kind of people that God uses, uh, you realize some of the stuff that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, it is not in you to do those things. If it's based on your strength, we're, we fall short. It's not in our tank. Okay, turn the other cheek, love an enemy, be meek, seek peace, all those different things. So what God did, knowing that you and I could not do that, knowing we would do it imperfectly, he sent his Holy Spirit to not just be with us, to actually live in us. Only then, only then, do we live out the fullness of really what it does mean to follow Jesus. Only then does our life reflect the image of Christ. And so this summer, we're beginning a series. Today is where we're beginning. Um, the series is called This Is Us. So who are we? You know, th this is us. What does it look like 
for the world to look at us and we can say, hey, these characteristics, this is who we are. This is us. And we're going to do that by looking at spiritual fruit and we're going to begin today by looking at what happened today, 2,000 years ago, Pentecost. Now, what does the Spirit-filled life look like? And as a church, can we point to that? Can we point to that? So we are going to go through Galatians chapter 5. You'll see it on the screen, verses 22 through 23. These are the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay? So we're going to be going through each of those on a different Sunday through the summer. But, but, what is described there, love, joy, peace, patience, all of those, those are a byproduct of something else. You and I don't produce those fruit. Something else does. Something else does, and they're a byproduct of something. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back a little bit. We've got some scripture to look at here. We're going to go back a little bit to John chapter 13 and 14. Okay. So in John chapter 13, what we have is Jesus has died, he's been resurrected, and he's now appeared to his disciples. He's with them, physically with them, and it's amazing. The disciples are stoked. They love him. They've given up everything to follow him, and now Jesus is with them. He's done this amazing thing, risen from the dead, and now he's with them and, and super excited. All right, these guys love Jesus. But then in John chapter 3, 13, Jesus goes, well, it is time for me now to leave. I do need to ascend to the Father in heaven. So by the time chapter 14 opens up, what you have is that Jesus is, is trying to encourage these guys because now they're devastated. I mean, they've given up everything to follow him, and now he says he's leaving. So they're grieving. They're really, really struggling with the fact that Jesus is about to leave. And so he's encouraging them. He's trying to, to edify them and lift them up. And so what he says is really, really important, and it's found in John chapter 14, verse 16. You'll see it on the screen. He said, I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be and here's the important part in you will not just be with you but will be in you now, I want you to imagine me and a disciple in that moment again it's been three years you've heard the teaching you've seen the miracles you've You've been a part of all of that stuff. And now he says he's leaving, but he's going to send another. The word another literally means another that is the same. Another that is the same. He's saying, I'm sending you another who is just like me. He will be with you and live in you. And that in you part is really, really important. Really important. It's a big deal. Think about what Jesus is saying, the implications of what he's saying. I'm going to enter your body. That's what he's saying. I'm going to be in you, in the form of the Holy Spirit. I don't even know if we remotely understand the ramifications of what Jesus is saying here. It's a really big deal. It means that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, sitting in this chair or watching online, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it means you're not sitting there alone. But the Spirit of God is in you. Now, listen, if that's true, that should have implications on our life, on how we live our life, what we do. Our lives should be different if we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Now, I want you to think about this. The very first church, the church in Jerusalem, 
They were crazy. I mean, we live in a world today that is different because of that first church in Jerusalem. But here's, here's the deal. Uh, they, they, they did not change the world because they had the best Bible study in town. They didn't change the world because they had a five-year strategy. Uh, it definitely wasn't because the government gave them a nod. Uh, and uh, it wasn't because they, you know, had some awesome facility or some banging worship set. I mean, that's, that's not why they changed the world. Listen closely. It, was, it wasn't because of what they did. It was because of who they were. That's what made the difference. It wasn't because of what they did. It's because of who they were. The Holy Spirit was enabling them to love, real love to grow in the character of Jesus, to live lives of selflessness and holiness and righteousness. The Holy Spirit was empowering them to do that, and the world, because of that, was changed forever. Not because of what they did, but because of who they were in Christ. Now, I've known for a long, long time uh, that many followers of Jesus, including myself, I have the tendency to do this as well, I tend to emotionalize the movement of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit's moving, you know, we get excited. We tend to emotionalize the idea of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, we, we tend to pursue the Holy Spirit like, as a, like the Holy Spirit is a movement or a moment that needs to be captured or, or something like that. And I don't negate that. I think a lot of that happened on the day of Pentecost. Clearly, some amazing things were going on. And it was emotional. People were shocked. I'm sure that the disciples were overwhelmed by what they were experiencing. But... Chasing after an experience, I don't think was God's intent when he promised that the Holy Spirit would be in us. Jesus was really clear. Another will come to lead you into all righteousness. Righteousness. Listen, emotional expressions of the Spirit, that's fantastic. But if you experience those emotional expressions of the Holy Spirit or, or what I would call the religious affections, um, but then you treat your wife like trash? Okay. The Holy Spirit is given to us to transform us from the inside out. From the inside out. I wonder if you're anything like me. Jesus says, love one another. I like the pick. <laughs> Don't you? I like the pick. Jesus says stuff like, honor me with your body. And I'm like, but Swiss cake rolls taste really, really good. <laughs> I know, I'll focus on being a really, really good speaker. That way it'll compensate for that other part. So we'll be doing okay. Jesus says stuff like, sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor. Don't hate. Don't let the sun go down on your anchor. Pick up a cross. Deny yourself. He goes on and on and on. And you hear what it looks like to follow Jesus, you see it in scripture and you hear it preached and yet you can't do it. <laughs> Have you ever been there? Am I the only sinner in the room? Okay, I mean, you just can't do those things. Here's the deal. I can only live this life as I surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in me. That's the only way you can love your enemy is if it's God doing it in you and through you and changing you from the inside out. You and I were not meant to serve in Jesus' name. You and I were not meant to lead in Jesus' name. We were not meant to give in Jesus' name in your own strength. You were never meant to do those things. In fact, the only thing that you actually can do is surrender. Is surrender to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Then, 
and only then, what comes out of us is not us. It's from him. It's from him. So starting next week, we're going to dive into that Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those different fruit of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. That being said, as we head into the summer, first of all, what I want to do is I want to thank you guys for your patience. Um, <laughs> on a couple of fronts. First of all, thanks for your patience. This four months now that we've been doing this since I started, I've been trying to manage two households in two different locations you know, family in two different locations. I mean, just, there's been a lot of stuff going on. So I appreciate your patience. Our house is sold three weeks from today. My family will be here permanently. And yeah, so. Thank you for your excitement. I am more excited than you. So, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm really glad for that. My wife has a job teaching at Portage High School next year already. So we're, things are right. So things are coming along, but here's, here's the other aspect of me, and the staff knows this uh, really well. I mean, I, I wake up every morning with an agenda. I've told you I like lists, so I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to tackle stuff. Um, I appreciate your patience because I know when a new pastor comes, there's always new plans, there's new ideas, agendas. It's exciting to see movement and activities. It's exciting to see newness, to see needs being addressed. It's exciting to, to see that take place. Um, and I have ideas. I have plans. They wake me up in the morning, okay? Um, but I've also been doing this for like 25 years. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you about something. I want you to look at the screen. Real life, real life is loving God, loving people, and serving the world. That's who we are. This is on our walls. It's on our Facebook page, it's on our website, it's in our print materials. It, this is a part of our vernacular. We talk about this all the time in this church. We love God, we love people, we serve the world. I think though sometimes, and I, I'm tempted to do this, I think sometimes we tend to view these as somewhat independent of one another. Like, like sometimes, yeah, I love God, I love God, but the loving people part or I love people, I love people, but not enough to serve or sacrifice or be selfless in that loving. All those different things, sometimes we view those kind of independent from each other, and uh, like they are on the screen. But then, I think the truth is, I think these are supposed to look more like this, where they all interconnect, interdependent. Loving God is seen. We, we see that love play out in how we love people and how we serve the world. I think there's a really, really strong theological argument that if you do not love people, if you harbor hate in your heart, loving God and serving the world aren't going to look real good. They're not going to look real good. Okay? And the serving the world part, it's hard to do that without loving people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. It's going to be hard to serve without introducing other motives. These are all connected, aren't they? But even then, even if they're all interdependent and connected on each other, um, loving God falls short. I want to be my own God. I want to be the one that determines what's true, what's right for me. Or loving people, again, I like to pick and choose. I have to love everybody? 
In the serve the world part, we like to put conditions. We like to put limits, qualifiers on who should be served and who shouldn't be served, our personal preferences. This mission, this strategy, this, this model, love God, love people, serve the world, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in our strength. It just doesn't. It's fueled instead by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit touching every single one of those areas. The Holy Spirit in us and only the Holy Spirit in us is what produces true love of God, true love of people, and true service to the world. As a church, listen, we need to begin strategic planning and vision initiatives. That's the stuff that I'm like, yeah, let's go. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, right? But we need to do some strategic planning. We need to start vision initiatives. We need to put more feet to what it looks like to be hashtag for the region, and then some more feet onto what it looks like to be hashtag for the world. Adapt and pursue online development, knowing that the front door of this church, you understand this, is no longer right out here. The front door of this church is online, and I, we can't change that. So we've got to figure out what does that mean for us? How do we adapt? What do we have to do to address those different things? What, what, what needs to change? Um, you know, what do we need to do to be creative and foster advancement and how we're going to continue to spread the gospel in the 21st century where everything is different one month after another, after another, after another. Everything's different. Everything changes. There's a lot to do, right? There's a lot to do, but here's what I know. Doing does not replace being. I'm going to say it again. Doing does not replace being. And my highest priority is that we, we are being formed by the Holy Spirit and transformed into the image and character of Christ. That is my number one priority, is that you and I would be more like Jesus. If being Christ-like does not undergird everything that we do, then all that we do is all that we can do. And I'm at a place in my life, can I just speak frankly here? I don't give a fat rip about what Rich Doring can do anymore. I want to be a part of what only God can do. I want to be a part of what God can do, but it does not happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't, uh, I don't tend to follow a lot of blogs or you know, public celebrity pastors or anything like that, but there are a couple that when I see something come across my feed, I pay attention. Uh, not because of what that person has done, but mostly because of who that person is in the core of who they are. And one of those people is a guy by the name of Pastor Tim Keller. I don't agree with him theologically and everything, but uh, when Tim Keller says something or writes something, I consider it worth my time to, to pay attention a little bit to what he says. Um, not long after I came here, I sat down and I shared with our staff what I'm going to share with you here in just a second. Um, I'd been asked by various people what my philosophy of ministry was, what are we going to do, what are our plans, all that kind of different stuff. And so what I share with you right here has had a formative impact on my life for years. Mostly because never once have I found this not to be true. Not to be true, including in my own life. It speaks to why the Holy Spirit is such a big deal 
not only to us as individuals, but to us as a church. If you are a leader in this church, if you aspire to leadership in this church, if you are a staff person in this church, or if you influence anyone in any way through this church, these words are really pointed, really pointed and important. This is lengthy. It'll be on the screen. I'm going to read the whole thing for you. These are the words of Tim Keller. He said this, gifts are abilities that God gives us to meet the needs of others in Christ's name. Speaking, encouraging, serving, evangelizing, teaching, leading, administering, counseling, discipling, organizing. Graces, often called spiritual fruit, are beauties of character, love, joy, peace, humility, gentleness, self-control. Spiritual gifts are what we do. Spiritual fruit is what we are. Unless you understand the greater importance of grace and gospel character for ministry effectiveness, the discernment and use of spiritual gifts may actually become a liability in your ministry. The terrible danger is that we can look to our ministry activity as evidence that God is with us or as a way to earn God's favor and prove ourselves. If our hearts remember the gospel and are rejoicing in our justification and adoption, then our ministry is done as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And the result will be that our ministry is done in love, humility, patience, tenderness. But if our hearts are seeking self-justification and desiring to control God and others by proving our worth through our ministry performance, we will identify too closely with our ministry and make it an extension of ourselves. The telltale signs of impatience, irritability, pride, hurt feelings, jealousy, and boasting will appear. We will be driven, scared, and either too timid or too brash. These signs reveal that ministry as performance is exhausting us and serves to, as a cover for pride in either one of its two forms, self-aggrandizement or self-hatred. And here's how the danger can begin. You get involved in some ministry activity which draws out your spiritual gifts. You begin to serve and help others, and soon you're affirmed by others and told what great things you are doing. You see the effects of your ministry and conclude that God is with you. But actually, God was helping someone through your gifts, even though your heart was far from him. Eventually, if you don't do something about your lack of spiritual fruit and instead build your identity on your spiritual gifts and ministry activity, there will be some type of collapse. And everyone, including you, will be surprised. But you should not be. Spiritual gifts without spiritual fruit is like a tire slowly losing air. When those words were first shared with me back in roughly 2008, I put a big pause button on my life because <laughs> I, I realized, wow, I was just starting a brand new ministry in Racine, Wisconsin in 2008 when I was first introduced to this. And I don't think it was a coincidence that God introduced that to my life in that moment. Uh, trying to begin to lead a church, uh, establish a footing. I've never not seen this be true. 
particularly in my own life. And I've had to ask myself, I can get up here and put on a good talk. I can, I can do those things. We can all do stuff. But to me, what's most important is who we are. Not what we do, but who we are. Because when we get that settled, when we get that settled, all of a sudden we begin to see what God can do, not what we can do. And I'll be honest with you, again, I feel like an old man, 46. That was a joke, by the way. I'm not interested in what I can do anymore. doesn't mean I'm lazy or don't have skills or whatever, but I'm not interested in what Rich Doring can do. I'm not interested, listen closely, be careful. I'm not interested in what you can do. I'm interested in who you are in Christ. And will you yield yourself and will I yield myself to him so that what comes out of us is something beyond who we are, who we are. Listen, our world deserves that. The people that I love who don't know Jesus in this world deserve a church that's not trying to do it in their own strength but will do anything to put themselves on the altar and allow God to work through them, through them. And it takes surrender. This summer, as we look at these, I look forward to diving deep into how we, who we are, does inform what we do. But it begins with allowing God to transform us from the inside out. To tra- it's, we don't need the Spirit with us. We do, but you understand, we need the Spirit in us transforming our hearts from hearts of stone to something that's moldable and shapeable into the image of God's son, Jesus. That's the goal. And next week, it begins with love. With love. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to close with just two passages of Scripture, almost as an invitation, but also really kind of as a blessing as we jump into the summer together. The first is Ephesians chapter 3, 17 through 19, and the second one is almost right after it, verses 30 through 21. But Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 says, May Christ dwell in your hearts. Dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled all the fullness of God. And then verses 20 and 21, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask, than all we think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Father, as your people today, we come before you and I acknowledge in my own life, Father, the areas that I need your spirit, Father, to own those things. And I I pray that we would all, with a humble heart, be willing, Father, to do business with you, to allow you to show us, just like the psalmist Psalmist David, if there's any way in us that is offensive to you, would you point to that, reveal that to us, help us to confess that to you and allow you to reign in that area of our heart completely. And Father, as a church, help us to truly understand what it means to surrender our lives to the work and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In that, we are free. We're free. So help us, Father, to walk in that freedom today. We love you. 
We praise you. Thank you for letting us be the church. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. If you want to help add with that list there that's in the foyer, and uh, make sure you greet somebody on your way out. Thanks.